Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi. Do this again. I finished one this morning. And now, uh, since it's the week before Pesach, so I intend this week to do a number, I mean, if it works out, I intend this week to do a couple of talks on Seder ideas. Um, this what These are being sponsored by uh, Abe Gluck, Abe Gluck from uh, Lakewood, very uh, generous of him, very kindly, uh, in honor of his parents, Chaim Elazar Shalom Bentubi Gedalia, and his mom, Chava Fega Basra Shmaya, and... You mentioned, as everybody does, you know, when we want something to use for the Seder, I'm not going to pack a long thing in now. I'll, I'll have an idea today. I'll get another idea tomorrow, the next day. I'll do several of these, hopefully, during the week. As I can remember them or think them up. And um, together, I hope it'll be of use to your Seder. Uh, I'd only say that it's a zechus for the Glucks and people like that, that they have children and grandchildren who are interested in Vart's in the Seder. That's that should be a, a, a zechus for the niftarim. Now, um, then, I'm going to talk a little bit about Haggadahs and a little bit about uh, about the Haggadah, about a couple of words for the Seder. Uh, the reason I mention is because I got a million Haggadahs out there. Some I bought over the years turned out to be duds and for me, for my purposes, you know. And, not, and some, good. It worked out good. <clears throat> That's the way it goes. You know, you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you get a prince. And that's what we learned. Now, uh, and then there's some gold knowings I never paid attention to. And I want to share this with you. It's, it's almost like a confession. Um, I have a son in Israel, in the yeshiva there, in Beis Israel, and he came back now for Yantav. And before he left, he said, I'm going to the bookstore. Tell me, you know, do you want a for?" I ain't telling my son get a saver. They, they don't understand these sorts of things. I have, Baruch Hashem, I have people in Israel that understand my quirks for his farm. Bernie Leapshag, uh God bless him, in, in Modine. And Moshalevi and people like that, you know, because I have weird things that I need. But he said, so he wrote me, so I'm getting a Gavala the Saber, which is very popular. Uh, I said, what's that? It's the Haggadah of the Barmanel. I figured myself, Haggadah of Barmanel, that's an oldie. But what am I going to say? If your kid wants to get a Saber, he's going to use it. So great, you know. And he came back and he said, let's learn the Haggadah of Barmanel. Really? Okay. Again, if your son wants to learn anything with you, <laughs> the answer is yes. Correct? If he if if he's pushing it, the answer is yes. <clears throat> now now um, now go to the Barbanel. He's been around for five hundred years. He wrote it in fourteen ninety six, uh, and uh, and by the way, the original was sold at one of these Stefanski fancy schmancy auctions this past week. I understand. I'm glad for him. He sold out the whole lot uh, for like twenty five thousand dollars. You know, that's an original, artistic, the original uh, thing of the Barbanel from his lifetime. Okay, from his lifetime. So that's amazing. Now, um, but if you're like me, then you'll know that um, the commentary of the Barbanel Agoda, which is long, everything in the Barbanel is long. He doesn't know how to do short. It's Evach Pesach, it's called. Is in the Otsar Agodas. Okay? What am I talking about? There was a guy 100 years ago, he was called Mr. Otsar, Judah David Eisenstein, Judah David Eisenstein. 
who was a Balabas in New York City, in Manhattan, who came to America from Lithuania at a young age, I don't know, 1850s, 1870s, something like that. I think he was born in 1850 in Lithuania. He came here very early. And he was what I would call a religious masculine. Okay? Dati na Haredi. Dati na Haredi. He was a religious masculine. And, uh, which there were a ton of people like that. And over the course of his career, and he was a businessman. Over the But in addition to being a businessman, he had another life. And that was a life of um, Jewish knowledge, Torah studies, Haskalah studies, Jewish history, and stuff like that. Very good. And over the course of his life, when he hit his like 50, 60, in those years, so he, I think he was inspired or ticked off by the uh, encyclopedia, the Jewish encyclopedia was put together in the early 1900s, which is a whole story by itself. I don't have time to go into it, but a bunch of non-front people got together and they fooled everybody. They actually put together this fat, what, 10 volume something encyclopedia, Jewish encyclopedia. It's not from, but they had a lot of information. It was very, very useful. Still is useful today to some degree, to some degree. And um, uh, so he's, so he started making his own. He made Oats Yisrael. Maybe you've seen that, which is like I would say a from a religious masculine encyclopedia. And uh, and then he did a lot of other Oats. So maybe you've seen them. Oats of Vikuchim, Oats Hadrashos, which is very good by the way. Oats of Midrashim, Oats of this and Oats of that. So one of them, all this is done around 1910, 1920, those years. And um, that's when he's very active. Oats of so these are very good cheater books if you're going to be a rabbi 100 years ago. I, you think I'm laughing? I'm telling you the truth. Now, um, he also did Otsar Haggadah. Okay? So in other words, as he does all the time, he just collects from other places, but it's extremely convenient before the internet, before the encyclopedia, to have all the Hebrew sources in one volume. And so what he did was, in 1917, he published the Haggadah with a lot of Mepharsim in very nice block print, extremely clear print, which is a tremendous Milo. And he's got the Alshach and the Shlor and the Shabalilekin and Maral and this, that, and the other. I mean, he's got a lot of material over here. So it was, as I said before, Encyclopedia. But the piece de resistance, the, the best of it, I mean, he's got the Graw, the, the, the Yavitz, whatever, was he did the whole um, Abarbanel, which is low. Right? It's called Zevach Pesach. <laughs> Excuse me. So he's got the Gansa Zevach Pesach over here. And for those who were who are willing to, to wade through it, you had that Barbanel's famous uh, commentary. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have the O.C. Israel. I use it every year to some degree. And, I, you know, like you, I look here and there in the Mar- Barbanel and the rest of it. But usually we're very busy for Pesach. And to be honest, you've got to put a lot of time and effort to go through anything in the Barbanel. And so who's going to do it? But my son came back with this Barbanel from Israel. All they did was put footnotes on it and they cleaned up the gearses a little bit and so forth and so on. But it's okay with me. And he said, let's learn the Barbanel. Okay. So the other day, I said, okay, let's learn the Barbanel from again. I never did it before in a systematic way. That's why I'm sharing this with you. And it's the son of a gun. He's got, you know, the Barbanel treats, so I'm recommending it to you. The Barbanel treats, I'll go to like a unitary work. Like somebody wrote a book. Uh, in point of fact, Haggadah Shel Pesach is a composite work, right? I mean, you know, somebody added this here, somebody added that there. I mean, that, that's clear. It's a little bit like the relationship between Rabbi Hunanossi and the Mishnah. Did he write the whole thing from scratch, or did he assemble composite stuff? So the Shirogon says the latter. He assembled composite stuff. He, he edited it, you know, this and that and the other. Um, but on the other hand, it's possible and very traditional to look at the Haggadah 
as something written by a guy named Mr. Magid. And uh, he put all the stuff together. And uh, and clearly, in that case, it was around already in Mishnah time, because the Mishnah, as we know, in that way, quotes from Agado, or maybe the other way around, however you work all that out. And there you have it. Okay, fine. And then he gives it the abarbanel treatment. Now, what do I mean? Uh, he has 100 questions. Get it? On paragraph by you know, Baruch this and that, he shamed the whole concept of business. And he has abarbanel questions, which is, why does it say this? Why does it say that? Wouldn't it be more sense to say this or that? And then, the over the course of his com- very long commentary on the Haggadah, paragraph by paragraph, he answers his questions. Right? So I only did with my son, like the first part, uh, because it was like Friday or whatever it was, you know. So uh, I did the first part just to give you a very brief uh, 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 taste of what I'm talking about. A very brief piece. But in the Haggadah, he calls it Shar, what he calls question number one, question number two. If you're familiar you know, with the Barbadell I spoke about in the past, he always starts by asking a bunch of questions. But not a hundred, right? So the first one is, Loma Sidri Chazal Mamarishan Beloshan Arami. He goes the whole thing, why is Allah Ma'anya in Aramaic? Then the second, I mean, he's got stuff on that. And then the second one is, why do you call it Halach Ma'anya? Why is it called Lechamoni? It's actually not Lechamoni. Matzah is very nice and fancy. Is it because we're remembering the poverty in Egypt? The opposite, Rabbi Gamliel says, it's the Geula. Then the third question is, why does that go to begin uh, with Matzah? What about, why don't we, why do you say Halach Ma'anya? Why don't you say like this? Ha-Pischa Anya, Ha-Mara Anya, because Pesach and Matzah are equal the same. And then the fourth one is, why do you say Hashan Ta'ach, Hashan Ba'ad Yisrael, and then you repeat yourself and something like that. And then he goes through and explains it. I'm simply giving you a taste. That's four out of a hundred, so there's another 96 to go. <clears throat> and he takes each one, and he gives it the full treatment. As always, one of the big advantages of studying the, the uh, Barbanel is, he's a good encyclopedia, he's a good cheater book. And he wrote this in the end of the 15th century. So anybody who's had anything to say on the subject up to the 15th century, Rashi, Ritva, this, that, and the other, you know, you will probably find it in him. And he's he's no saving no thing with them, you know what I mean? In other words, they'll say, some say the answer is this, but I slug it up from that. Another one will say that, and I don't agree with him for this reason. And so you have a grand treatise on the um, on Haggadah. It's, it's actually kind of interesting. I mean, I have to admit, I felt like a dummy. I've looked at the Barbara off and on for years. I never went into it even at all. And thanks to my son, I went now, you know, looked at it. And I'll tell you the truth, if I had the time, this is a complaint of all of us, I would go through all of them. But I'm sharing this with you to show you that this coming Saturday night, when you have the first Seder and then the second Seder, if you have a rusty, trusty Abarbanel with you and you look to where he is and you coordinate it with the question in the front, so now let's say, for example, you're home by Vahisha Amda, so just find which question he has in the front, you know. It's either been in question 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. Look at his specific issue that he raises and then read his specific commentary of Ahisha Amda. And then, you'll, you, like I said before, you'll get a quick digest. The Barbara is brilliant when it comes to offering brief, brief digests of what the other Rishonim say. That's one of his strongest points. The guy was, after all, a master administrator and businessman, so he could, you know, think in a very clear way. And uh, I think you'll, uh, I think you'll like it. You know, I think that you'll like it. Now, um, uh, what do you call it? The art scroll put out a Barbanel Gada, but it's, it's like 1%. You understand? 
Hey, I, I just, uh, because it is, I went to the store and bought even the article one to see how he did it. It's, it's 1%, okay? 1% is better than no percent. But, I mean, you ain't getting nothing from the environment like that. By the way, I saw in the uh, in the catalog from Stefanski's, uh, uh, what do you call it, the auction thing, that they did a bunch of these early modern 16th, 17th century texts, including the original uh, Barbanel. And also, I mentioned the other day, Leona Modena, the big rabbi in Venice. One of the things Leona Modena did, Yudana Modena, was he published a Haggadah with, with his kitzer of the Barbanel. It's called Tzali Aish. Get it? Tzali Aish. And, uh, so these are, but that was also sold. The, uh, so, so why get the sleeves? Get the original Haggadah of Barbanel, which is now being sold in all the farm stores in a brand new edition with the footnotes and all this business, if you are that interested in it. Or you can do the old-fashioned cheat away and just get the old oats or Haggadahs. I'm sure they sell them all the time. It can't be that expensive. And then you can read through it yourself. You understand? Um, whichever you prefer. It's a shame. Somebody would actually... It, listen, this would be a dissertation. Somebody would actually do a nice thing if they translated the whole... Um, what do you call it? A Barbanel Haggadah you know, paragraph by paragraph, because uh, at least it stimulates your thought. Our brother is always very good for stimulating the thought. You know, you can like his answers or not. You know, some some are better, some worse. You know, that's how good. At least, at least that's my experience. But, uh, like I said before, if you're holding or you have any issue that you wonder about an Agoda, a very good place to start is is the uh, Barbara and Agoda. I have to say, here I was bested by my, uh, by my kids. Now, um, so it's, it, 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 I, do, I do recommend it. Um, again, I repeat, he treats it that it's a single book written by one guy. Now, God is more complex than that, but, but it doesn't matter. It's Mahalach. You know, especially, what do you care for your satyrs? It's God's fine. I, don't, I would only make mention of one other, and that is, because I went to the bookstore, I used, there was a time I used to buy anything that came out with Manuka, but then over the years I see a lot of junk to put with Manuka, so it doesn't help, you know. Uh, so I've given up on that, and I wasn't really going to get anything this year because I have plenty of Haggadahs. But um, I saw go- I saw something that I didn't know existed, and I got it. One of my Haggadahs from yesteryear that I always liked was from the Hafla. Um, you know the Hafla, and in Frankfurt, you know Pinchas Hurwitz, and um, he, 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 in addition to writing the Hafla and Sefer Hamakna and all that, he's famous that he did. Um, what do you call it? The Pani uh, Miafos uh, on the Chumash. Which is his way. It's very lumdish, very populistic, and also Kabbalistic. And, you know, it's a classic 18th century type of work. Uh, I like parts of it. I don't like parts of it, that, whatever. But many, many years ago, I got from a terrible chicken scratch print. It was just terrible. Little print. Um, I got it from the fluff. It was a, a thin one. And believe it or not, I actually liked it, you know. And I saw three or four forts or there, are four or five forts, and I liked it. And I've used them many times over the years. <clears throat> um, just going by memory, uh, I remember he said, you know, one opinion is the Malcolm of us jumped over the houses, and the other opinion is the Malcolm of us went into every house and killed the Egyptian that was hiding in the house. Something like that, right? I think, if I remember correctly, it's a Machlok Shimon Yochai Chachamim. I believe, I'm going by memory, I think that's what it is. I can actually look it up. You can look it up too, and um, and he stole it too to the fact that according to one Kiriakim is Matamim Ba'ol, Yelon Kiriakim is not Matam Ba'ol, right? That's a machlokus. Uh, you know, if if you have a Gaisha corpse, does that make a Thomas Ohel? 
which obviously means let's go to the original. It's original. See, it's original. I like it. Original Seder night, the original Passover, time of Moses. So there are Midrashim that say that um, some Egyptians worrying about their firstborn being killed uh, deposited them in the houses of Jewish friends. Or they were just stuck by Jews. And um, they thought they'd beat the system because the Malcolm always has to jump over a Jewish house. And uh, so one way of, of dealing with that is to say, uh, you know, so the famous question is like this, I mean, it also says, you got a Malcolm Ovis here. So was it Hashem himself? Or was it a Malcolm Ovis? So one classic dialectical answer is the Malcolm Ovis skipped over the houses because they had the blood. But Hashem himself, went and he killed the Egyptians who were hiding in the house that the Malcolm Ovis couldn't get to. And the other one was something else. And again, it had to do with the idea that the one who says, not the way I just said, that he killed the ones in the house, he holds Kiriakim is Matambi Ba'ohel. Um, but if that's the case, at Karm Pesach, they'd be Tommy. You understand? Uh, so they couldn't eat the carbon pesach, uh, and uh, so therefore it's like she taught them. Uh, I'll I'll look inside it better, but you you get the general idea. I've given you a whiff. You can go chase this down if you want yourself. While I'm speaking about this, it just comes to my mind. You could probably put together a nice Torah and connect that with the opinion of whether or not you know you have to finish the carbon pesach by, by chatzos or not, because the malchamavus came with chatzos. So there'll be no dead bodies before Chatzos. So if you hold they finished the carbon pace already by Chatzos, it wouldn't matter if they got Tommy already. You understand? They already finished. But if you if you hold like the Mondamba said they did it all night, so then you can't have it. Maybe he says something like that. That's the style of that flaw. I kinda like it. Um and over the years, you know, even though it was in terrible print, I always used it from time to time. Although when my kids are younger, you can't use any of that kind of stuff. I mean, give me a break. <coughs> I still remember <laughs> when I was in Yeshiva I won't say any names, but a distinguished rabbi picked me up. I was coming back from some kind of a shopping center. It happened. And, you know, he would give me a frown. And he, and it was around Pesach time. And he said, well, you know, uh, what's what's a chiddish or something like that? And I just happened to that night before to see that Ford I said before the, with the Kibriyaka Matambal. Boy, was he surprised. <laughs> That's a memory I haven't thought of in many years. Anyhow, uh, you know, he said, oh, you come to a shopping center. Now, here's the thing. I saw in the bookstore in Shopsies, they came out now with a nice, clean, annotated edition of this Haggadah. Uh, Haggadah in Panem Uh No, they did a very good, it's a nice print, and very extensive footnotes, and this is somebody somebody put his time and effort into it. And if you're that type, if you like the type of thing I just said, not everybody does, but if you like that type of thing, I would recommend go to the store and get the Agata the Panam Yavis, especially this new edition with the notes. It's actually a, a lot of fun, right? It's actually a lot of fun. Now, this is taken, this is not a book he wrote. This is excerpted, at least I believe I'm right about this. This is excerpted from his Panam Yavis commentary in the Chumash. I think. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, a lot of Haggadahs are like that. It's not that the person wrote a Haggadah, it's that he wrote different stuff all over the place, and they will pull from that and put it together in the form of a commentary in the Haggadah. Now, the Barbadol is not like that. The Barbadol wrote a specific commentary on the Haggadah. And by the way, if you get the Barbadol's Haggadah, and if you care about history, you read his introduction. Oh my Lord, 
first of all, it's very malicistic, you know, full, full of one puzzle connected to another puzzle, and it rhymes and all that. But he tells about his sad life. You understand? He's kicked out of Portugal, then I, then I did well, and kicked out of Spain. Now I'm kicked out of Naples, because uh, he moved from uh, Spain to, ran away to the Kingdom of Naples, and then the French invaded Naples in the famous invasion of 1497, which many movies are about, and uh, what do you call it? And he, he messed over from that. So, you know, he's writing this at a low point in his life. He uses those words. So if you're interested in a Bible from the biographical perspective, again, I would strongly recommend Again, Sargani, you can read you can read his introduction. <clears throat> um, so you have the so these are two agodas that just jump out at me right now. One is that of the Barbano, uh, which I tell you again, you can use intelligently if you do what I said. You know, let's say you're in Shul and you have nothing better to do. So you bring the Barbano Agoda, you say like this, I'm interested, like I said before, in Hishamda or Arami Ovidavi, or something like that. By Arayalona Mr. Vayanuna, whatever you want. <clears throat> then you have to you know, zoom through the front, through the hundred questions. You'll find the, the one on that. Believe me, you'll find the one on that. And then you switch over there. You know what's bothering him. And then you see how he explains it. And as I said before, he'll share with you the other opinions. Now, everything I just said before was a bibliographical um, riff. Okay? Now, I'll try to uh, share a word or two that, for practical purposes, you can use, I hope. I did a Shabbos Agoto speech yesterday longer than I planned this, two, two, almost three hours, and uh, about, uh, oh, the Lavanitic Lasse, the famous Rambam, why does he say that Balira is not a Lavanitic Lasse? But I did it in the context of early modern Jewish thought and Sabatianism, there's things that I had a lot of fun. And um, one, of the, one of the points I'm trying to make, and this is all speculation, points I'm trying to make in the middle of all the lambdas, because there's a ton of achronim that go in this sort of thing. It's a lot of fun. And um, we had a nice asylum too. I was surprised in the corona. Uh, was that you see the Rambam uh, is, is always talking about... Well, let, let me start from the beginning. If you um, look... Hold on. So, yeah, I had to pull it out. If you look in the Chidoha Gada, it's called Panini Chidoha. It's around... I got it because I had Nakudas, but it turned out it was very good. Uh, very, very good. I like this one. So he brings the famous Red Vaz, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to read it to you. It's not too long. And it's a quote from one of the Chidos HaGadot, but it's Red Vaz. I did a podcast, and these are the Dove Zim, one of the big biggies of the Spartish Shaposkim of all time in the 1500s. And he says like this, um, It's true that you can find some kind of Musr Dika thing from any Mitz in the Torah, you know, shot as anything, but bedikas chamas alachas kam v'kama ki b'shar hamitzis yish b'chol achas tam keikar al derech abshat. Usually, the musar is like an atom icing on the cake. There is a reason for well, I shouldn't have picked shot in this, but there is a reason for low tirzav, low seno, this, that, and the other. You can also see like a musar type vort if you if you're creative in the homiletical sense. I will be iser chametz, and what I'm quoting for you is the chidah. But iser chametz. You hear what I'm saying? The argument here is that the that you know why is the Torah against leaven? You understand? The the pshat is the remis, or the remis is the pshat. Shekvarnishal haradvaz in the tough kuf memvov. In that you know he has thousands of chubas, and the radvaz was asked the following: Manishtana chametz mishari surin shabatora la bali rabali mosa. 
How come we have an Isra Bali Rav ownership right, when it comes to Chumas? The Osra Bamashahu, so you can't even, not only can't eat it, can't own it, it's also, you know, it's not bottle of Shishim, you know, it's not bottle. And this crazy business of Bedika, you have to look in all the little uh, crooks and nooks and crannies. Why? There are many other kind of choruses that we don't freak out over this in this way, like Chalav and Dom. There are plenty of other things that are Israel, like Kilayim. They don't go this overboard. If you want to say, like the rush, you know, the Chomets is extra worried because people, usually it is kosher and only a short time of the year. It's not kosher, therefore you have to be extra strict. Right, a Nazir, when he's not a Nazir, can drink wine. Why don't you freak out and make super crazy Chomets on his ears? And we don't. So it's an intelligent question. And the Radbaz answered, Shachomets, and I want to repeat to you, the Radbaz is Mr. Halacha, get it? He's a posik posik. So Shachomitz Isuro Chamor Mishum Shinitztarfubo Kolgimwailum. He said, Yes, it's true that Chomitz is more strict than Klayakaran or Khalib and Dam or Yain and Nazar. But that's because, he says, Chomitz contains all three impact in one. Okay? Uh Nitztarfubo Kolilu. It's Osirbano. It's Isser Karis, and Ain Bedel Mi Menachal Shana is the kind of thing that people don't usually avoid during the year, so it's, you have to be extra worried. But once the Rabbaz gave that answer, he himself said, you know, I'm not satisfied with it. We don't say there's such thing called Bedika and whatever for Abed Zara, which would be worse. Right? And the Torah says you'd have nothing to do at all with the Vodazaranation before, but they don't uh, you have all these, you know, it's their mashus or whatever. The Hamoriba, Hamura could cover called to Kolakula. And we know when it comes to Vodazara, anybody who has any part of Vodazara is like Kofra Kalatarakula. So why Khamitz? Why Khamitz? Hilkach, therefore the the Radbah said, A dying Sarakhtam. Bialkane. So in other words, I I don't have a good reason. Balkane, therefore he said it says, Anisomich Almashamukhazal bin Midrashas. If I want to know, the Radbaz say, intellectually, in a satisfactory way, why we sell Meshuggah over Chametz, I have to fall back on the Midrashim. Ki Chametz Pesach, Remez So even though it's a Remez, no, he's saying that's the Ikevart. Behu, Seor Shabiso. So the Chametz represents the dough that causes you to rise, or the Yitzhar that causes you the Avera to grow. Lachain, Kola Garshi Garsim Melam, that's why you have to totally obliterate it. And you have to search it out and destroy it, all the nooks and crannies of your inner self, of your machshavas. You have to carry out a batikas chametz in the mind, which, by the way, is not a comfortable sort of thing. It's like a Sigmund Freud, you know. I feel kolshahu lo It's like a certain cancer, you know. You can't even leave a kolshahu because it will metastasize. Right? So... Um, the Rabbi says, I think that's the real reason. And the Chidah concludes, You see, Beferish, Sharaf, Pishpesh, V'lamotza tam l'chumris, She'echmir v'tar v'chazal, V'chomitz, T'fei mishari sur, And I'll pshat v'din. That the Rabbi tried to find a logical basis for all the chumris, on chumris, and he couldn't. V'hutzrich lismoch atzmo, Al haremes, Ki ha-chomitz, 
remez leitzahara. Benimsa sharemez al chametz hu hapshat. Kikol chametz halalu leorer haadam lehisrachek maod maod mina yitzahara. Interesting. Ulechapis bechur v'sikil avavo, and he always has to examine himself honestly. Im shemitz dover nimsabo lemaher levayro l'sarvesha Torah lizar maod balyro balymatsa kul ayvul nitzim mina. So I thought that's kind of cute. It's a, and it's a, I, I mean, it's an old word, but I remember it every year. And it fits into what I would call a Maimonidean model, a, a Rambami type model. And indeed, it's just kind of interesting that the Rambam says there's a mitzvah of Tashbisu. And you will perhaps remember, it's very famous, the Rambam said, what is Tashbisu? It's mental, not physical. Hashbosa believe, you know, you have to regard it as, as, as Afradara and you, you remove it from your mind. The Rambam does not say, hey, go and burn it. You know, go pour acid on it or something like that. He says it's a mental, right? Which is interesting. They talk about this. And so it sounds very Maimonidean that the Iker Chometz is the Ra. What is the real Ra? Incorrect ideas, incorrect Hashkafas, incorrect theological notions. They're the or that causes the Isa to rise. <clears throat> you understand? It's, it's a very interesting. And if you take the trouble to follow through a lot of the approaches of the Rambam, it kind, you know, it, it it kind of fits, you understand? It kind of fits, you know. And in, in fact, the briskers will tell you like this: "Is is a gavra, not is a chetza, right?" Uh, that's cool. The issue is on the gavra. You shouldn't. Uh, it's up to your responsibility to make sure you don't have these wrong machshavas or or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, others may not see it that way. Uh, they would say, "No, it's is a chetza, like Rashi, you know." Notice you, you have to burn the chametz, uh, and uh, that's all. It's this specific chametz. It's not avoiding you. It's avoiding the chametz, and uh, they don't have this whole philosophical, theological kind of approach. But the Rambam, not surprisingly, does. All right, we, we we would say so. This led me to think in the following: We know about two satyrs. Uh, one is very well known; the other one less well known. And I've spoken about it in the past, but I'm coming from a different angle. One satyr is, I mean, classic satyrs. One is the one in the Haggadah. Meiser, Blazer, Mazari, Bekiva, who is it? Rabtarfin, Blazer, Mazari, and so forth. And Bnei Brach, Chayim, Misaprin, Vitzis, Mishram, Kolosal, Laila. That is one Seder that we all heard of. Now, by the way, it's not in the Gemara. As far as I'm aware, it's not anywhere else. It's only a Haggadah. Mind you, I told you before, the Haggadah is a composite document. It's taken from earlier sources. Not everything has survived in the Gemara. You know what I mean? Those the Mishnah, the Tosefta, and the other things don't compromise, don't comprise the totality of all the rabbinic teachings. It could be whoever put that got it together, found it in some other version of the Tosefta or Bryce or whatever. It's not a problem. But we know that famous story. Um, and then there's another place in the Tosefta at the end of Psalm where it says, I'm saying it's out loud. It says, Maestro Rabbi Gamliel, Bacham, Shayu, they're holding a Seder in Lud, in the house of Baisis Benzona, in the house of some rich guy who was a supporter of Rabbi Gamliel. How you alone did, um, you know, I should get it. Here we go, I just pulled out my Tosefta. It's all the way at the end of Pesachim. Ma'isa Rabbi Gamliel is a kingdom. Shoyim Mesubim Bebeis Baisis Benzonim Belud. Shoyim Mesubim Bebeis Baisis Benzonim They were they were having a Seder at the house of this rich guy, Baisis Benzonim. He's known. Shoyim Mesapim Bebeis Mitzrayim. No, it's a wrong gear, so you have a, I have a, I have a breast lover version here. I'm serious, I'm not being funny. It's really how you alone did Hilchas Pesach, Kol Ayla, Ad Kros Hagever. Kim Sholom and Ashach, Higbi Lufnim, Beholcha Beis Medrash. 
That's the right gear. So I, mean, uh, I don't have the with the Tosefti. You got another right gear. So uh, it's so mandel. So again, it's very interesting on several levels. And I think I've spoken about it in the past years, but I'm not holding anybody to that. You have two satyrs, one well known and the other one not. The one that's well known would be uh, the one about uh, all the different people of Rabbi Kiva Seder. The other one is much less well known. Now, it kind of raises the interesting question, which is, why was Rabbi Gamliel Taka not there? Right? If you know any idea of, I mean, you don't have to be a big historian to have a general idea of which time were, uh, were contemporaries. Uh, now, I know a lot of Shiba guys don't believe me. I get that. But I'm just saying, hopefully, a lot of people listening to this will be a little better than that. And you'll know that there's like three or three and a half generations of Tanoim. Okay, the first generation of Tanoim, you see the same five, six, seven people all the time. And it's indeed the people at Rabbi Kiva Seder. Uh, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lezer Nazaria, Rabbi Tarfin, and Rabbi Kiva. Right? Maybe I skipped somebody. You know? And, and Rabbi Gamliel, but he's not there. If you think about it, I would venture most of the time, at least 90% of the time, when there are interactions, discussions, in the Tanaitic literature, in the Mishnah, the Tosefta, Michilta Sifra Sifri, and so on and so forth, most of the conversations are between those six characters, right? It's true, there are a couple of unusual first-generation Tanas that pop up once in a while. It, that is true, but usually not. So, you know, I know, Reb Lezer, be sure, Reb Tarfer, Reb Kiva, you know, they're, they're the, the, the players. Then you have the second generation, which is Reb Meir, Reb Yehuda, Reb um, what do you call it, Shimbin Yochai, and, you know, maybe one or two others. Again, they're the ones who always interact with each other, 90% of the time, right? The great majority of the time. Rebbe and the Chemia is there, and all that. Okay. Uh, and then you have the third generation. So, the first generation is everybody except Rebbe Gamil. <coughs> so how come Rebbe Gamil wasn't at the Seder? And if he's so chasha, why didn't everybody go to Rebbe Gamil? It's, it's just interesting. They have two versions of contemporaries. These satyrs were in the same era. Maybe the same year, but certainly the same year because they all lived at the same time. And one made it into Tosefta, which is a serious rabbinic source. The other one seemingly only made in the Haggadah Shalpesa, which is a less serious source. You don't Pascha for no Haggadah, you know what I mean? But Tosefta is like real. So, what's going on over here? Now, I suggested in the past that um, I've gone at this a number of times, actually. Uh, without Without I don't want to delay too much, but I think I mentioned in the past that, you know, a difference is uh, the style because there's a big difference between how you misoprim, they were telling stories versus they're learning the dinim. They, they represent two different mentalities. Rabbi Kiva was telling stories, which is Sipri Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, literally. Sipur Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. And I suggested in other years, I'm sure it must be, I must have mentioned it last year or a year before, that uh, Rabbi Kiva probably was extremely interesting because um, he holds that the reason the Jews got it early was because Nashim Tzidkanios, obviously based on his wife, you know. Others hold different reasons why the Jews got out early. But Rabbi Kiva, you know, he made a big debate about Nashim Tzidkanios, which is not one line. You can just imagine Rabbi Kiva, um, you know, talking about his wife or talking about the righteous women. And by the way, there is what to talk about. The Jewish women in history at different times have been tremendous tzedekesses. And, you know, in a Hanami, one could, you know, let me put it this way. Consider the story of the slavery in Egypt and the subsequent gula from the female angle. 
What was it like to be a girl? What was it like to be a guy, uh, a, a woman? Uh, in many aspects, some of which are less mentionable than others, but, you know, seriously. That's Adam. What about a woman? Uh, that's a different experience, and, and maybe it was a bummer, you know, so whatever. And so Rabbi Kiva would talk about this, and you know and I know many of the stories that they mentioned about the heroism of the women in many ways. We just had the parsha about Maros Atzobos, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's one Mahalach. And Rabbi Gamliel was more interested, you know, in the Hilchus Pesach, uh, which is a different way, right? Which is a different Mahalach. Uh, because you can get off too much in, shall we say, a Hasidic vein, and, you know, what about what about the, 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 the halachas of Pesach, which are always the things that tell you the story? And that's what it means, Pesach Matzamar. Pesach Matzamar. Now, that's one way of looking at it. But this year, uh, when I was doing this uh, talk yesterday, the Shabbos of God thing, so it, 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 it occurred to me, um, you know, that, uh, as I was saying before, that, uh, you know, Rashi will hold the Ein Birchamsal Sreifa, so Tashbisu would then mean, in the ideational sense, destroy this specific sin, uh, this specific action. Uh, you don't need any philosophical thought uh, or anything. Just just stop doing what you're doing and make sure you do, don't do it again. This is what we tell Balchubas in America. This is what we tell everybody on a serious Mechua. Just don't do it. You know, that's the American way. Just don't do it. I, what about you did all these things in the past and you should ask yourself why you did them. Nah, nah, you know, most people are not going to follow that. Just... You know, just don't do anything. Just say no. Who is it? Mrs. Nixon? Something. Just say no. Okay? Uh, and by the way, that's a Madriga too. If somebody finds themselves attacked by a Yezahara, and in the past you always did this, and now you're able to say, just say no, I have all the respect in the world for that. That's not to make fun of somebody. But the Rambam, on the other hand, right, says, Hashbasasa Bechaldover. So in other words, Tashpisu is a general command to make sure there's no Chomets in you. It's not a command to burn this Chomets. It's you get to get rid whatever comes is in you. The comments in you is what the Radbabs is talking about. Your issues, your sins, your incorrect uh, notions. It's not a question of this or that specific sin, but it's a state of mind. Okay, it's believe, it's believe, and you have to attack the state of mind that allowed the sin to happen. So, incorrect theological or philosophical notions, or the lack of philosophical or theological thought at all, these are the uh, the, the culprits. And this is what he sees as the remes. Of the of the seder of the uh, masa the iser baliro and all the rest of it. Now I was wondering, is this Rabbi Gamliel's criticism of Rabbi Kiva seder? No, Rabbi Gamliel didn't go to Rabbi Kiva seder. Maybe on purpose, maybe uh, because what can we say by Rabbi Kiva? Masapri sees from John Kolos Alilo, but Rabbi Gamliel says Kol In other words, was he talking to Rabbi Kiva? It's nice to tell the stories. But you got to discuss Pesach Matzamara. Why those three? I think it means, I was thinking this year, it means the Pesach Matzamara, these three mitzvahs, which are educative, like Samson Ravel Hirsch is very much into this, that the mitzvahs themselves are educative, right? So uh, what is Pesach Matzamara? These are the incorrect hashkafas of our ancestors that led to the slavery in Egypt and to its prolongation. Pesach, the carbon Pesach, represents the belief in Egyptian gods. Because the whole idea of shechting the, 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 the sheep is to shech the god of Egypt, as we all know. So the carbon Pesach itself is a glorious episode, but it's also inglorious. 
it also reminds you what the problem was. If the Rebbeinu had to tell everybody, take the sheep on the tenth of uh, of Nisan, and you know, tell the Egyptians they go, uh, whatever, you know, and uh, have the courage to put the blood on the door, and uh, and you have the courage to eat it, and so on and so forth, it's it's a a a psychological act uh, with theological implications, and so if they had to do a carbon pesach. Notice what we're going to say is if they if there had to be a mitzvah karm pesach, it shows you what the karm pesach was coming to correct, and the matzah uh, represents the idea that God had to take them out quickly. I repeat, He had to take them out quickly. That's not so glorious, uh, because the dough was rising. The sor of isa. Consider this well. I don't think we usually do. Uh, consider this well. Pesach came right after the plague of darkness. They say in the plague of darkness, eighty percent of the Jews perished. So that means that eighty percent weren't leaving no matter what. So when we talk about, as we do, that the Jews were holding by the Memtesh Shari Tuma, what we mean is the last twenty percent were holding by the Memtesh Shari Tuma. The other eighty percent were holding by the Memtesh, were holding by the fiftieth Shari Tuma. You, you get what I'm saying? Not the Jewish people weren't all in one matzav. There were different groups of Jews. The ones that left, by definition, were the ones who hadn't hit the 50th. The others hit the 50th, and therefore, 50th Shar Tumal, and therefore they perished in the, in, in the Makas Choshech. So that is some Nisan they had back there. You understand? That is some Nisan. A very few survivors, like the Holocaust, you know, very few survivors actually made it out of Egypt. And the Matzah tells you that God is looking, and he's like this, 80% already gone. And this last 20% is going, going, gone, you know, and it's almost gone. Therefore, i got to take him out right now, and as we all know, the matzah represents the chipozim, that they had to go so fast that it didn't have time to rise. In which case, matzah is not just a nicey, nicey business, but matzah is an uncomfortable reminder of where we were holding. And I repeat, that was the 20 best percent of the class. <laughs> you understand? The other 8% of the class weren't holding it anywhere. That's why they died. Okay? They were already gone. They wouldn't leave each other under any circumstance. That's called 50 shartuma. Let's be honest. Look around the Jewish people today. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, Many people, it seems to me anyway, many people holding by 50 Shar Tumo, right? And the rest of it ain't so hotsy totsy, but you're not there by, by that. Uh, and Moror, uh, what does that have to do from a philosophical perspective, my Manadian perspective? The Moror is the bitterness. Well, it's sad to say that what moved the Jews to turn to God was not enlightenment, but suffering. It took the bitterness of suffering to finally move them to turn to Hashem. Because the Pasuk is to be understood like this. At least that's how I understand it. The Jews were slaves in Egypt, and they were suffering in this, that, and the other. And they had Kotzer, Ruch, and Avodah, Kasha. And all of a sudden, they, had, they didn't think about God. They, you know, they were just thinking about themselves. Which is understandable, but I'm just saying that's where it was. And they were already in a state of, um, what do you call it? Assimilation. You know, they got rid of Brismila, and so on and so forth. So, um, what was the corrective? It says, that it took the bitterness of the slavery and, and the terrible suffering and then the short respite in between the terrible suffering for the Jews to moan and ask Hashem, right? Let, let me see the Pasuk here. Hold on. Here it is. Uh, so a long time passed before the following happened, before they turned to God. So then they cried out, 
To be perfectly honest, it doesn't even say they pray to Hashem. I wish it would say Hashem or something like that. But let's say that's what it means, right? Because that's how we take it to mean. So the terrible uh, suffering uh, moved them to do the right thing. And as soon as they did the right thing, because it says, uh, so as soon as, and I've spoken about that possibly in another way also, uh, as soon as that happens, meaning they should have done this earlier, but as soon as they did that, something strange. At that very moment, in other words, let's say that they all cried out from the pain and the moror, and they finally turned to Hashem. Uh, they should have done it earlier, but this is when they did it. As soon as they did that, a guy named Moses lives a couple hundred miles away in Midian, is chase, chases a, a, a little sheep, and comes to a mountain and runs into a burning bush. So if they cried out to God at 1.30 in the afternoon, at 1.31, somewhere else, far away, a guy ran into a burning bush. Which you and I know means that Hashem instantly answered them and he said, okay, we're going to start the ball rolling. Because these people are saying we can't take it anymore. And it's impossible, it's terrible. They didn't know, but you and I know, within months, the whole thing was going to be over. Within months, this guy Moshe would start showing up. And if you follow the story closely, after a couple of plagues, they ain't working the, the Jews anymore. You understand? Now, to get a formal buckling of Egypt took 10 plagues. But the uh, harsh avoda uh, broke down pretty darn quickly. Because after all, if all the animals are dead and there's a, the crops are failing and there's a hailstones, all the rest of it, you know, the Egyptians are not enslaving the Jews anymore. So... So basically, let's look look like this. We look back now and we say, Oi, why couldn't you do this earlier? It's a moror in two senses. It was the bitterness of the suffering to move them to turn to Hashem. And it's, and, and to, to think about what I just told you is, leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. Why wasn't I smarter? Why didn't I cut this earlier? Then we could have gotten out earlier and saved ourselves a lot of trouble, and a lot of pain, a lot of dead children, and a lot of all the rest of it. These are, let me put it this way, that is a Maimonidean Seder. That's a philosophical Seder. Right? That's a philosophical Seder. And so you end up with two models. The Rabbi Kivo sense. He's talking about all the Tzedekah Seder Jews and what I call a Hasidic Seder. I'm serious. I don't mean funny. Around Gamliel would, would, would have what you call a philosophical Seder. And it seems to me, I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that, you know, they said, we're all going to go here, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Kivas. I get it. But Rabbi Gamil said, like, no, I want to do Hilchus Pesach all night. Hilchus Pesach are the laws of Pesach. The laws of Pesach are the fundamental institutions of Pesach. Pesach Matzamar. And the rules that apply to them. Uh, and every Nakuda of Halacha, every aspect of Pesach Matzamar is conveying a point. It's, it's conveying an educative lesson. Such as the three that I just suggested. That does. I'm not saying that's the reason. How would I know? But it's certainly a reason and so you see over here that these two satyrs, as I like to say, provided food for thought and not food instead of thought. So uh, you may want to consider or raise at the table and bring that to the Sefta 
when you get to the story of Meister Belezer Akiva and ask the kids or ask the people at the Seder, he said, well, here we have two Seders. A, I'm going to play Junior Barbano. How come this one got in the Haggadah and not the other one? And second of all, how come Rabbi Gamliel wasn't at the Seder? After all, he's part of that Hebra. Third of all, why didn't they all go into Rabbi Gamliel say that he's in the Nazi? And fourth of all, do these represent simply two guys running a Seder in, in each one in his own place? You know, there's this shul and there's the other shul across the street. Or do they represent two different Hashkafic models of the Seder? Uh, two different ways that are considered appropriate to approach the story of Cyprius Mitzrayim. I think that's a great deal of food for thought. And I think you'd have a very interesting discussion at your Seder table. Once again, I thank you, Buck, for sponsoring this. And uh, I hope to return uh, to some other ideas connected with the Seder uh, as the week goes by and as I have time and uh, space. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.